0: to the Mariner's Library with me, Chris Tammer Major. In this episode, we're continuing the book The Search for Captain Slocum by Walter Magnus Teller. We're on chapter nine, and this is the seventh part of the reading. And if you haven't already, please consider going over to patreon.com forward slash the Mariner to help support the podcast, or you can check out the Mariner podcast with all things sailing and seamanship each week, or of course, the Mariner YouTube channel, where you can see gear reviews, how-to videos, and me engaged in expeditions and projects all over the world. Now on with the story. Chapter 9. I had taken little advice from anyone. To go round the world, the Boston Globe announced, Captain Slocum starts from East Boston alone in his 40-foot spray. Captain Slocum, a kinky salt, 5 feet 9 and a half inches tall, weighing 146 pounds, Spry as a kitten and nimble as a monkey was 51 years old when he set sail, 24th of April, 1895. In a last-minute decision, he had changed the spray's hailing port from Fairhaven to Boston because he thought that for going around the world, the latter name would be better known. But he was wrong. Several times he was asked if Boston was near Fairhaven or New Bedford. The whalers had carried the names of their ports to the ends of the earth, "'whereas Boston was a merchantman's port. "'Where I shall next be heard from, I cannot tell,' he told a reporter. "'I shall make right out to the southward, "'and when I get among the flying fish, "'it will depend on how I feel how soon I leave them.' "'Courage still good?' "'Just as good as ever,' was the hearty reply, "'as the captain cleared away everything forward "'and prepared to hoist the jib. "'Good luck to you, then.' "'Aye, aye,' was the cheery response,' and the captain sprang aft to the wheel. As the whistles were sounding noon, he sailed away. "'I felt that there could be no turning back, and that I was engaging in an adventure, the meaning of which I thoroughly understood,' Slocum wrote later. As his boat, passing fairy-like, silently down the bay, sailed by the wreck of a steamer ship broken in two over a ledge, he said aloud, "'Take warning, Spray, and have a care.'" The dramatic exit, notwithstanding, Slocum sailed not southward but eastward and only as far as Gloucester, 20 miles away. Waves dancing joyously across Massachusetts Bay met the spray coming out of the harbour. Every particle of water thrown into the air became a gem and the spray, bounding ahead, snatched necklace after necklace from the sea and as often threw them away, wrote the poet-sailor. He wanted to put into Gloucester to procure some fishermen's stores, he said, a fisherman's lantern, a gaff and a dip net. But in truth, he needed again to weigh the voyage and my feelings and all that. At Gloucester, the captain once more checked the boat over carefully, slapped two coats of anti-fouling paint on her bottom and got an attack of malaria, from working at the sloop on the beach there in a sickening ooze. The spray, well advertised by the papers, attracted a crowd of the curious and friendly, The captain was given many useful articles to add to his comfort while at sea. Messrs. Wonson and Tar gave him a supply of copper paint. A Boston lady sent the price of a large two-burner lamp, which the captain thereupon purchased. He used it as a stove by day, as well as a lamp by night. Throughout the voyage, the ladies brought gifts to the captain. There was a gallantry in his quest that was deeply appealing to women. In Gloucester, Slocum found a castaway dory, cut it in two ships, and by boarding up the cut-off end, made himself a boat to take along. Half a dory was about all one man could hoist, and all there was room for on the deck. Slocum also used it for a laundry machine and a bathtub. In return for these kindnesses, the captain spoke freely of his plans. He said he had hoped to have the sloop hauled across the Panamanian Isthmus, but the railroad's agents had written that it couldn't be done. He was not phased. He said he would continue down the South American coast instead, perhaps pick up an English-speaking companion at Pernambuco, if one could be found, and then go through the Strait of Magellan. He said he would then cross the Pacific to Japan, from there go down through the South China Sea and across the Indian Ocean. Entering the Red Sea, he would proceed via the Suez Canal to the Mediterranean and Gibraltar. Finally, by crossing the Atlantic, he hoped to make Boston and home. He stayed in Gloucester two weeks, which was annoying to his syndicate. They were impatient for speedy action, but Slocum was never affected by considerations of speed. Leaving Gloucester in his own good time, he asked himself again whether it were best to sail beyond the ledge and rocks at all. But he kept on, bound by the promise to himself. Still he did not turn south, but continued eastward, going home to Nova Scotia, as though even yet reluctant to say goodbye before pushing off to a destination unknown. From Briar Island, 13th of May, he wrote Friends at Robert Brothers. Fetched West Point, Friday night. Experienced no difficulties in getting along alone, and no inconveniences. I like the novelty of being alone even better than I anticipated. I find that I have friends even here at Westport, the island of plenty. Will you please give me some hint of how much the first of my experience was disliked? if the worst is known. I will as I get along, I think, make it interesting. Anyhow, I shall try, but I have been put to my wit's end to get started right. Do please be patient with me, and you will find in the end that I shall try to be fully square. Yours truly, signed Josh Slocum. The start of the voyage and of the writing was painful. The first travel letters were rejected. Slocum was not feeling well. The course to be followed was still undecided, and the condition of the boat not yet quite satisfactory, but back home in Westport, where he had not been in thirty-five years, he began to feel better. The Spray, Westport, Nova Scotia, May 21st, 1895. Dear Mr Hardy, I am in a grand good place to repair my vessel and do it cheaply, giving her a great going over. We'll sail on the next full tides at the full moon. I think Pernambuco will be my first landfall, so many courses to be taken after that, I can only go as circumstances and my feelings dictate. My mind is definitely fixed on one thing, and that is to go round, go with care and judgment and speak of what I see. And there's not a reporter here to twist one, that I know of, it is a haven of rest, but I shall do my work and sail as quickly as possible." I guess it would bother my friends to prove that things don't happen on this voyage, just as I relate them. Thanking you, sir, for your kind note. And finally, from Yarmouth, on the 20th of June, the captain wrote Robert Brothers, I arrived here yesterday with the spray, all in good order, after having corked her all over and recruited myself. After all deliberations and careful study of route and the seasons, I think my best way is via the Suez Canal, down the Red Sea and along the coasts of India, in the winter months, calling at Aden and Ceylon and Singapore, taking the southwest monsoon next summer up the China Sea, calling at Hong Kong and other treaty ports in China, thence to Japan and on to California. From California, I believe I shall cross the Isthmus of Panama. The freight agent of the Panama Road wrote me that I could not get over the Isthmus. We'll see. My health is excellent now, I experience no inconvenience in working the sloop alone and have not lost a moment so far when sailing. My courage is better than it was and I am now at the edge of a slipping-off place. So I go east instead of west and roll around with the world. Slocum had put all the money he had raised into absolute necessities for the voyage. His old chronometer, long in disuse, needed cleaning and rating. It would cost $15, which he did not have so instead at Yarmouth he bought a $1.50 tin clock, but because the face was smashed, he got it for a dollar. It was his only timepiece throughout the voyage. Also at Yarmouth he took aboard butter, a barrel of potatoes, and six barrels of water. Sailing on the 2nd of July, the captain let go his hold on America at last. All was left behind. The boisterous Atlantic was before him. He wrote later that during those first days out, a feeling of awe crept over me. My memory worked with a startling power. The ominous, the insignificant, the great, the small, the wonderful, and the commonplace all appeared. He heard the voices of the past. He could speak of Virginia to the moon. From his quarter deck, the ex merchantman captain called down orders, then went forward and obeyed them himself. At sheets and wheel, he sang the work songs of the merchant service as he had known it. Ruben Ranzo, Johnny Boker, and will pay Darby Doyle for his boots, for he did not accept the age of steel and steam, the impersonal, the non-singing age. But the sound of his own voice made him lonely, except, he said, when the gale was high and I found much work to do. When fine weather returned, there came a sense of solitude, which I could not shake off. Slocum sailed thus eighteen days. When next heard from, he had reached the Azores. Spray, Horta Faial, 23rd of July, 1895. Dear Mr Hardy, I have been trying to scribble a few lines for the newspapers but find it almost impossible to do or to think. The spray is constantly crowded with these good islanders. But I do hope the editor will make out something of what I send along. I will send in some other letter, more detail of the voyage. The only surprise to me has been the contented state of my mind and my perfectly good health. Hope my friends are as well. I sail for Gibraltar tomorrow. This is the way to go round the globe. Roll round with it. Very sincerely, signed Joshua Slocum. At the Western Islands, Slocum was loaded with gifts. Islanders are always the kindest people in the world, he wrote later, and I met none anywhere kinder than the good hearts of this place. A damsel as innocent as an angel came alongside one day and said she would embark on the spray if I would like to land her at Lisbon, She could cook flying fish, she thought. Slocum lived high while at the Azores and for a little short time thereafter. Getting underway again and still his own cook, he made a meal of a pico-white cheese and plums. By evening, he was doubled up with cramps. While sailing, he had spent many hours reading Washington Irving's Life of Columbus. Now, lying ill and delirious on the cabin floor, with the wind and sea rising and the spray racing on, Slocum saw, standing at the wheel of the spray, the ghost of the pilot of the Pinta. Throughout the rest of his life, Slocum felt close to Columbus, who, like himself, had been past 50 when he finally embarked on his great adventure. Despite all differences, both Admiral and Captain expressed themselves in action of a conquering kind, but sailing the seas, Slocum thought he was the happier of the two. The ghost pilot guided the spray for 48 hours. When Slocum awoke, Weak but refreshed, he got up and, by inspiration, threw overboard all the plums in the vessel. On the 4th of August, the captain arrived at Gibraltar. On the 21st, the Boston Globe reported to those at home, Slocum safe, the run to Gibraltar was, distinguished by a spell of bad weather. At the stronghold, the spray was given a berth in the midst of battleships. British sailors were sent to repair her rigging, and fresh milk and vegetables were sent from the Admiralty Gardens to replenish her larder. The captain went picnicking with the governor, sightseeing with the general. From the start, Slocum was a hero to the British. All about Gibraltar, he felt the friendly grasp of a manly hand. Apparently, his only troubles were financial. He had made the land with a dollar fifty in his pocket, but he patched up that weak spot with a fifty dollar loan from the treasurer and the captain of the port. A year later, Hetty, acting on instructions, repaid it. Part of the fiscal trouble was Slocum's failure to suit the taste of the editor of the Boston Globe, the backbone of the syndicate. The Globe seems to have published only three of his travel letters. His unhurried and idiosyncratic writing made him wrong for the newspapers of his day. To the first piece the Globe gave the heading, Spook on Spray, Ghost of Columbus's Man Steered the Boat, so Captain Slocum thought after eating plums and cheese but the sloop reached Gibraltar safely. Just 32 days it took the Yankee skipper. With frolic welcome, the brave Tar greeted the tempests. Slocum stayed at Gibraltar three weeks and from there sent the second of his published travel letters. It was not very good. In an otherwise unoriginal report on the rock, he tells how near the end of his visit he was guest of a party of naval officers on board a torpedo boat. The talk turned to Slocum's countryman and contemporary Alfred Thayer Mahan whose the influence of sea power upon history, 1660 to 1783, was having a tremendous effect on the naval mind. Captain Mahan's great book was praised, and one of the officers, a wag I suspected, incidentally remarked that the representative present from over the sea looked like Captain Mahan. Acknowledging the compliment, I simply said that I could stand it if Mahan could. What else could I say? The truth is, I think that I favour more our fellow citizen Bill Nye with a secret fear that neither Mr Nye nor myself would be taken for handsome in broad daylight. When Slocum was ready to leave Gibraltar, much to his surprise, the British advised strongly against proceeding, as here planned, through the Mediterranean, the Suez and the Red Sea. The reason? Pirates. And under the very nose of Her Majesty's Navy. That meant that the captain would, after all, have to go west instead of continuing east, it meant his cruise across the Atlantic had been a wild goose chase, and it meant he would have to recross the ocean. So that is what Slocum, nothing daunted, did. His third published travel letter tells of events after leaving Gibraltar. The captain sailed on the 26th of August, heading southwestward, following Magellan's course, but off the coast of Morocco, he was spotted by Moorish pirates. The pirates gave chase. The captain raced ahead, carrying all possible sail. Day was ending and a higher sea rolling up fast. Conditions, Slocum thought, which favoured the spray, until a strong squall snapped her main boom. Here was I, crippled in an instant in a craft coming down on me. I didn't like it a bit, read the travel letter. I sprang instantly to the work of getting the broken boom on board and of securing the sail. This I managed, I hardly know how, but I recall that it was done quickly, and the sail was not torn. A wonder. My presence of mind was good, and the machinery of the head, such as it was, was working fast. I would have a hail from that craft now, in a moment more, with the offer of help. Maybe, as a beginning. It was the work of an instant to snatch the rifle and revolvers up from the cabin, and be in readiness to discourage the plan. I was bound to do without assistance, so long as I had a shot left, and strength to fire it. When the boom broke, my heart quailed, but now I was serene, and having time to look around, I saw the most gratifying change in the aspect of affairs. The felucca, devil take him, was dismasted outright. I felt almost a disappointment. It took me probably a matter of two hours in the rough sea to mend the boom. The contrivance was simple enough, two bunk boards, two oars, and a capstan bar lashed firmly over the broken part. The quickest work at sea is always the best work. Fifteen days out of Gibraltar, the spray fell in with the trade winds. They were too good to lose, so Slocum made no calls. He sailed on, making first-rate time, and then struck the doldrums. For ten days thereafter, the spray averaged only 30 miles a day. The doldrums, I suppose you know, the captain explained to Globe readers, are the baffling winds, light air and heavy rain squalls from all directions in the belt between the northeast and the southeast trades. I was greatly disappointed in the thunder and lightning and the dolds this time crossing. I saw only one pale flash and heard but the one most distant rumble. I must confess that I love to hear it crash and shake the air all around. I do, indeed. I can give no reason for the strange fascination, except that, when a boy, my life was a burden of fear from the same mighty forces. Being taught to believe that lightning was to kill bad people generally, and bad boys in particular. I naturally did some trembling in those grand thunderstorms that passed over the old farm. From Gibraltar, Slocum was forty days and nights at sea. All alone, he saw ships passing and schools of fish playing. The latter seemed friendly. As for the former, the time was when ships passing one another backed their topsails and had a gam and, on parting, fired guns. But those good old days have gone. People have hardly time nowadays to speak even on the broad ocean." There are no poetry-enshrined freighters on the sea now. It is a prosy life when we have no time to bid one another good morning. It was 5th October when the spray dropped anchor in Panambuca Harbour. Slocum had crossed the Atlantic twice and was now halfway between Boston and the Horn. He had been almost six months. Sailor-like, he was not surprised to find himself still among friends. Indeed, he knew the ports of Brazil far better than he ever let on in his writing. Three days after arrival, he posted the travel letter quoted above, and with it this personal one to Eugene Hardy. I am not surprised that a letter of mine turned out bad, but Mr. Taylor agreed on $20 per column for the availables, not as a literary production, the high price, but to encourage the enterprise as I understood it. $5 per column, or even less according to number of papers, would be all right, The sun printed trash of mine freely enough on more than one occasion, when it came for nothing, and I suspect that a case of murder or rape would find space for all the particulars in all of the papers. But I can't go to war with them. I shall get through. I lived awful hard coming down, but don't say anything about it. I could have bettered the condition, but I wouldn't call for fruit or vegetables at the islands. I was eager to get forward. I had plenty hard bread, coffee and tea and butter. I send one more letter. I dare not look it over, if it is not interesting then I cannot be interesting stirred up from the bottom of my soul. It was the voyage, I thought, and not me. No sailor has ever done what I have done." The spray, having crossed the Atlantic twice, was in need of refitting, and at Pernambuco, Slocum made the first of a number of changes to her rig. He shortened the main boom inboard four feet by removing the piece broken off in the flight from the pirates and refitting the jaws. But that was all, for he was eager to push on to Rio, to see to some unfinished business. He wanted to inquire about the wages due him, now two years in arrears, for taking the destroyer from New York to Brazil. On the 5th of November, he arrived at Rio, having sailed the 1,200 miles in 12 days. He called for his mail, then promptly wrote Hardy again. I haven't, since the last news from Boston, felt like trying to write for a paper. I thought there was something in young Charles Taylor, But I find he is only a rich man's son after all. I will not give your house any more surprises of the money order kind. It was kind to advance the twenty dollars. I appreciate that and the books which I sold as I went along and by them kept afloat. I am doing better now and will be doing still better as I go along. Treasure Island is ahead. I am in the very best of health and living in great hope. Well that's all for today. I hope you're enjoying the story so far. The next instalment will be available in the Mariner's library shortly. And remember, of course, you've got all the content over on YouTube and the Mariner podcast. And of course, Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the Mariner. But for now, wherever you are and whatever you're doing, I hope that you're safe and sound. And I look forward to speaking to you in the next one. Cheers.